John 1, 8 through 10. But also, if you don't mind, turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. In 1 John 1, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and refusing to accept the truth. But if we confess our sins to Him, He, the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. If we claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that His Word has no place in our hearts. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says that, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, by the way, those crowds, Crowd of witnesses are those, some say, that in heaven there are those who are watching us and they're able to see what goes on this earth. You ever ask the question, well, you know, so and so passed away. I wonder if they can actually see. This is a proof text that possibly that's possible. But then he goes on to say, let us strip off every weight. That slows us down, especially the sin that so easily, the King James Version says, besets us, or as the New Living Translation says, hinder our progress. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. If you remember, we started last week talking about nobody's perfect. You say, Mike? Have you actually met believers that think that they've reached perfection? I sure have. And I believe that their teaching, as far as they're concerned, is deceiving. They think, now look, one day, I promise you, everyone in here is going to reach perfection. But it won't be on this side of life, it'll be on the other side. I promise you, if you're a believer, and when you die, you will immediately go to perfection. Now, that's, that's a promise, not mine. That's Jesus' promise. But I can promise you this. If you live on this side of heaven, and this is not an excuse to stay in your sin, by the way. This is, a, this is not an excuse to stay in an addiction, by the way. This is not an excuse to continue in a behavior that the Bible says is wrong. I'm not, I'm not preaching that, nor am I teaching that. But I'm saying to you that we are not perfect. And even though Jesus is, and Jesus lives within us, you're still living in what is called a human body. A body which, by the, by the way, is going to die. Why? Because of the curse of sin. Again, 
That doesn't mean we have to sin, but oftentimes we do. I want you to look at uh, three quick things. I'm not going to stay hopefully long at long in Hebrews 12. He says, lay aside every weight or that which weights us down. Do y'all know what a a weight does to a person? Have y'all ever ran with weights on your ankles? Son, I can't even run, much less run with. I I try to run, and, and I might can do 50 yards, but then I need an air tank. Now, when I was young, I ran track. I did. I played football, basketball, baseball. Didn't have any problem whatsoever giving out a win. But since I've gotten a little bit older than a teenager, I promise you, I can take off running and feel like I'm doing fine. But then all of a sudden, there's a drag. There's a weight on me, and the weight's on my lungs. I'm not in shape to run four or five miles. Well, this weight refers, to, as Paul to, to, uh, talks about, a heavy burden, a heavy load. I wonder today, how many of you are under a weight? How many of you are under a heavy burden? How many of you are under the, the load of something that you are encumbered by? You are loaded down with it. It could be that one of your children that you thought was going to grow up and be great and serve Jesus has turned and went the opposite way. It could be that your grandchildren have grown up or, or some of your own family, and, and they're not doing way that way you think they should do, and you see, you see danger coming ahead, and you're burdened with it. A burden and a weight is not always sin. I mean, let's face it. Fishing, for me, relieves stress. But I'm going to be honest with you. I like something a whole lot more than fishing. You know what it's called? Catching. For some of you, the reason you don't fish is because you found out that they know you're going to fish. And you put a rod in your hand. All of a sudden, they're going to get locked jaw. And they ain't going to bite your bait. And all you're going to do is sit there and drown a worm. That ain't fun, drowning worms. It's fun to catch fish. When we went to the coast, went down to Keaton Beach, took my boys and my brother. We fished all day Monday, and we didn't catch a thing. Honestly, down deep, I wanted to go home. But Tuesday came, and then all of a sudden, the whole ocean lit up, and everything was not fishing. It began to catch. I saw my grandkids catch fish for the first time, reel it in, net their own fish. They were so excited. Now, that was worth the trip. But you know what? Fishing can become a weight. You know how it comes weight? It gets between you and what you know you should be doing for Jesus. It can become a weight when it becomes all you do, all you think about. It becomes a problem when it affects your worship, it affects your walk, it affects your worship. It comes between you and Jesus. That's when it becomes a weight. 
Look, there ain't nobody likes to hunt more than I do. I just don't like to sit on no boring stand waiting for a trophy to walk out. I, that's not who I am. I don't even, hey, look, when I go fishing, I don't look for trophy fish. I look for meat. M-E-A-T. You know why? Because I like to eat fish. And I don't want to go to the store and buy it. Every time I go, I, I said, man, that's, that's going to be a fish fry right there. But now, I'm not into all them big racks and Davy Crockett deals. I, that's, that don't appeal to my flesh one bit. But I'll tell you what does appeal to me when it comes to hunting. And you guys that are hunting, we need meat. Quit, quit looking. The rut's over, boys. Start looking for the deer, the bambies. Oh, that just hurts some of your feelings already. You're mad at me. But we got to have 28 to 30 hams for the wild game supper. But I'm here to tell you that hunting, as much as I like to bird hunt, and I feed my bird dogs every day, and I ain't been yet, it can get between you and your worship, your walk, your family. You say, well, how do I know it's come between my family? Ask your kids. Hey, they'll tell you. You want to know how well you're doing as a father? You want to know how well you're doing as a, as a mama? Ask your kids. If they're at home, they'll tell you. The second thing we see is that Paul says, the sin which so easily hinders our progress. I don't care who you are. If you think you're perfect, you still got this problem. And if you're here today and know that you're not perfect... We have a sin in our lives that so easily besets us. Some of the most godly men in my life that I've ever met in my life, when they do their sin list, always come up with about a hundred different sins on the list, and that's when they're just trying to get serious. But there's a top of the list and, and guys know what it is, your wives know what theirs is, and hopefully you know what one another's are that you can work together. But there is a sin that so easily hinders our spiritual progress. And Paul makes us aware of that. And then second of all, he says, run not only encumbered, enslaved, but with endurance. How many believers have you seen in your life that get saved, get excited for Jesus, and they make it to the 50-yard dash? You know what that means? They might make it a year, and then they won't even go back into church. Some hypocrite is going to make you mad because they're going to tell you you're a hypocrite. Well, just always know that we're all hypocrites. And if you think you're above a hypocrite, you're a bigger hypocrite that I know. Because all of us are dealing with the reality of something hindering our spiritual progress. We just are. Sometimes we get honest. Sometimes we don't. But we need to be honest with Jesus and with ourselves. What Paul says, look, man, you need to run the spiritual marathon. The Christian life is like a race. It takes a long, we're in it for the long haul. Hey, look, I've been here 30 years, and hopefully I'm going to be here for several, several, several more years. 
And do I like, did I like it when we were running 400, 450 in this church? Absolutely. My pride and ego was uh, at the best. Somebody said, and ask you, how things going? Boy, I just brag. It's hard to brag when you ain't there anymore, don't it? Hey, look, I ain't blind and I'm not stupid. But I know one thing. I've watched this church through the years, and I'll tell you what I've watched it do. When God's people get excited about Jesus, they invite their friends. And the greatest that I've ever seen Solid Rock grow is when God's people were excited what Jesus was doing at Solid Rock, and they invited their friends. But you know what? Some of you have let your work get involved and got, get, you've let your hobbies get be number one, become your God. You've let your families become, be only become your God. You, you've let everything else, and you don't even invite people to church. Must let share Jesus. You don't even invite people anymore. You see, the Bible says in James 4, 7, He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So sin's not always stealing and murder and, and adultery and, and, and uh, fornication. And it's not always just lying. You know what? It could be a bitter spirit. Yeah. could be a critical spirit. could be a condemning spirit, a gossiping spirit. It could be a lustful spirit. It could be a finger-pointing spirit. It could be a Facebook critic out there trying to straighten out everybody else's life when your life is in a bigger mess than the one you're trying to straighten out. It could be robbing God from his tithes and offerings. It could be a mean spirit, a rude spirit. It could be a controlling spirit or a sour spirit, an unforgiving spirit, or an an unloving or greedy, selfish, seductive, worldly spirit. Some of you just mad at the world. Because the world has not treated you the way you think it should. I got news for you. If you're a true believer, it's not going to. Now let's get to the outline. Number one, if you and I are going to deal with all this facts about sin in our life, we have to first of all acknowledge the fact of our sin. 1 John 1.10 says, If we claim to be without it, we deceive ourselves If we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a a liar. One of the greatest reasons why this world is filled with unforgiving people is because this world is filled with people who will not acknowledge their specific sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you've got any issues in your life, especially the one at the top of the list that's giving you the most trouble right now, and you won't acknowledge it, You won't call it for what it is. You won't say, look, I've blown it. I've messed up. I've sinned, and God is just, and and, uh, he's fair, and he's forgiving. But he wants to hear it out of you. He wants you to hear him say, he knows what your problem is. He wants to hear you say, I am doing this, Jesus, and I want to be forgiven. I want to be cleansed. I want to acknowledge this before you. 
The very concept of sin has become a forbidden word today. In the pulpits, it's shutting down. Nobody wants to upset anybody. Now, look, I don't get up every Sunday morning and say, Woohoo! I get to go upset them. I don't do that. That's not my intent or my love for you. I don't, I don't set out to do that. But you need to realize that you were born in sin, and it took you realizing you were a sinner before you ever got saved because you didn't know you had a problem. You didn't know you needed anything. And then when all of a sudden the Holy Spirit made you aware that you were a sinner all you and undone, you did something about it. And the Holy Spirit did that for you and showed you. We have double talk everywhere. Even in Proverbs 3.20 it says, Equally amazing is how an adulterous woman can satisfy her sexual appetite, shrug her shoulders, and then say, What's wrong with that? That's where we are in this world. Hollywood don't deal. Hollywood uh, pumps it into your living room and mine. Extramarital sex is all right. Premarital sex is okay. Homosexuality is fine. Matter of fact, it's normal, natural, necessary, needed, and not wrong anyway whatsoever. That is baloney. If you read, if you've read your Bible, you know that that's not true. We won't call sin anymore by its proper name. For example, people don't lie anymore. They have a credibility gap. People aren't deceitful anymore. They're just shrewd business people. People don't commit adultery. They just have harmless affairs. It's not stealing or embezzling anymore. It's called created accounting. You see, one stockbroker called a recent stock market crash a fourth quarter equity retreat. How come we just can't call it for what it is anymore? Why do we have to have it watered down so that we can deal with it? Sin is sin in God's eyes. We need to make it plain. A recent publication claimed that a jumping off a tall building could, could lead to a sudden deacceleration trauma. I think it could just lead to flat you being dumb and die. You know, I, I've, I've never have been one to put $50 words on things to just so I can say I said it and you won't get offended. But some of us need to get offended. Some of us need to look in our own lives and we need to, to evaluate what we're doing and acknowledge that there are things going on in our life. If you, tend to have a, if you intend to have a relationship with God, once you come into his presence, then you, can, you have to come into the ultimate no-spin zone. You can't spin sin. You can't say it all depends on what the meaning of is is. Bill Clinton still hadn't convinced anybody of that yet. But yet we buy into it. And we say that it's okay. The second thing we must do is admit the fault of our sin. The remedy for sin is not a lawyer. It's not Watergate cover-up. It's not a good excuse. It's not a convenient alibi. It's not shifting the blame to someone else. Let me tell you something. I don't know why it is, but somehow 
There are those that have managed to get entrenched that when they mess up, they're going to blame somebody else for it. You ever, you ever met that personality? If you won't admit that you've done wrong, you're never going to get it right. If you go around blaming other people or your society or your mama or your daddy or somebody else for what you do wrong, you'll never get it straight. You've got to be willing to say, this is my problem. I messed up. I sinned. This is what I did. And I'll get it straight. You ever heard of the Fifth Amendment? You know what the Fifth Amendment says? No person shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against themselves. Quite frankly, that's exactly what you and I must do if we're going to confess our sin before God and get it right. You've got to testify against yourself. If you're trying to convince yourself that you're sinning and that's okay with God, you better deny your fifth amendment amendment right spiritually. You can't remain silent. God's not going to push it under a rug. He's not going to say always, it's okay. Read the book of Hebrews. He will tell you because he loves you, he will discipline you for your sin and mine. What about your Miranda rights? You ever heard that? How many times have you heard, I hope you had not heard it much, but you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say and can will be used against you in court of law. You have the right to an attorney. If you can't afford one, one will be provided. Do you understand these rights? Can I tell you something? You and I spiritually, when it comes to sin, we have no rights. We don't have any. God expects us to look at that, turn it inward on us, and say, I'm guilty. And, and, and go to him for the forgiveness of sin. In 2 Samuel 12, verse 7, David was trying to hide, conceal, keep his sin secret. Oh, listen. There's some of you in here who think you can do that. I got news for you. It won't happen. Whatever you conceal, I promise will be covered up, or, or not covered up, but it be exposed. Whatever you decide to bring out in the open, God will forgive and get you on. David was hiding his sin with Bathsheba. God sent a prophet to Nathan to speak to him. And you know what he said? He told a story. He said there was a rich man and a poor man, and the poor man had a little lamb. And that little lamb he fed every day. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he fed him out of his own food, off his own table. He took care of that little lamb, just like so many of you do your little dogs and your cats and, and all that. He, 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 he cherished that little lamb. But the rich man had many lambs, and one day he had a party. And the Bible says that he took that little lamb of that poor fella and killed it and prepared it for the rich man's people. David got furious. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he got downright mad. And he said, that man needs to be put in prison, and he needs to replace six or seven in, 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 in its place for that one little lamb. And all of a sudden said, Nathan, you are that man. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I've already told you biblically that you have a sin that's hindering your progress. You, my friend, are that man. You can either deal or deny. You can either blame it on somebody else or stand up and be a man and be a woman and ask God to forgive you and ask those you've hurt to forgive you and move on with life. You read Psalms 51, I won't read it for you, but you'll hear real quickly how David turned everything toward himself and he realized how unclean that he was until God finally forgave him and restored the joy back unto his salvation. Did you know that one of the biggest problems in marriages today is not caused by husband and wives who fight? Did you know that? Did you know that it's not caused by husband and wives who verbally say things unkind? Did you know today that one of the biggest problems in marriage is that those same husbands and wives, they refuse to confess what they've done wrong, and what they'll say is, oh, just forgive me. I mean, after all, God's forgiven me. You see, that's not the way it works. If you've been rude, if you've been unfaithful, if you have misspent all your funds, you need to be specific with your mate and let them know exactly how remorseful and how you feel and be honest with that. If you hide it, you'll never be healed. You'll never receive freedom that you need. Thirdly, is to accept the forgiveness of your sin. How many of you have ever prayed, dear Lord Jesus, I got mad today and I cussed and I said things I shouldn't have said and Lord Jesus, I ask you, Father, right now to forgive me. You get up, you walk off, and you don't feel forgiven. You ever had that ever happen to you? Now, when the sins get more severe, and you hurt somebody else, and you start having to deal with triggers, you're going to quite often feel like you haven't been forgiven. But remember this about forgiveness. My God is just, and my God is fair, and he cares. And if God said he forgave you, it's not about how you feel. It's about how faithful he is and about the fact it is he did forgive you. There will be people on this earth, my friend, that you're going to hurt their feelings. You're going to wound them. You're going to do something to make them not like you, and they're not going to forgive you. That is not your responsibility if you have been to them, if you've tried to approach them and get it right. If they don't want to get it right, it's all on them. But you have to. If you've offended or been offended, you need to go to that brother. Whenever you possibly can make it happen, you go to that person and you ask for forgiveness. If they don't forgive you, it's not your problem. It's theirs. But you have to do that. And then we have to accept our forgiveness. The story is told of a couple that were fighting 
over what they named their firstborn son. <laughs> it got so bad they had to bring the preacher in on it. That, that's normally the way it works. They won't turn it on the preacher. The preacher took, accepted the responsibility, and he looked at the, the wife and said, ma'am, well, ma'am, what's the problem here? Why are you having such a problem? What do you want to name your child? She said, Joseph. He said, okay. He, said, he looked at the husband. He said, what do you want to name the child? He said, Joseph. My father was named Joseph. Her name, her father was named Joseph. And he looked at both of them kind of puzzled. He said, what's the problem? Name the child Joseph. She said, I don't want him to be named after his father. His father spent most of his life in jail. My father was a righteous man. My father was a man who took care of his family and loved his wife. That's what my son, I want my son to grow up and be like my dad. He said, like I said, go ahead and name him Joseph. Unfortunately, you can't determine what he's going to be like. You can spend time on your knees in prayer. You can, you can model your father's faithfulness to God. But you'll have to wait until he grows up to see which name that he'll follow. Have you ever spent a moment when your kids were small? And your mom and dad, as a mom and dad, you wondered what your kids were going to grow up and be like. I've got pastor friends that their kids were growing up. They grew up in church. Mom and dad loved Jesus. But their kids, gracious me, they turned out like heathen. And if changing that name would have hindered that, you know what I think? They'd have done it. You see, it is not necessarily your name. It's the way you live. It's who you hang out with. It's who you decide that you're going to spend your time with. And then you start acting like they do rather than, what their life's all about. If my kids grew up like you parent, if my kids were in your household and you were raising my kids, would my kids grow up after the righteousness of life or would they grow up like heathen? by the way you live. You see, our attitudes do matter. The way that we look at life does matter. The way that we look at our families, that does matter. The time you spend with your children, it is valuable and short-lived, by the way. The time you spend with your grandkids, it does matter. Your job is not going to matter when you stand before Jesus. But what you do with your family is, 
Some of you have your priorities all out of whack, and, that, and that, that's what sin does. It blinds, it deceives, it bitters, it poisons us to where we can't see life like we should. Some of you in here are so blessed. You're so blessed, but you're so tempted. What are you tempted to do? It's a three-letter word, three-letter word, S-I-N. And don't think that's ever going to let up on you. You have to say no. Or you will participate. And it will eat your lungs. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed.